us to pray together. Um, just as I start um, to share with you that we've been praying for Lisa Marie Turco for uh, quite a few months, a couple of years actually. She's now coming down to the last days of her life. And so she's at home. Uh, her daughter and son-in-law, Fran and Sean, are part of our body. They're, her other two daughters grew up here. And, uh, and then her, she has two sons and a husband as well who have attended here from time to time. So Lisa Marie was a regular right over here. She used to sit behind me all the time and was loved to praise God. And I suspect that today or soon she's going to meet him face to face, but then her family is left with the loss. So let's, if you would just join with me and pray, if you want to hold out a hand as a symbol of our unity in prayer. Jesus, today we lift up Lisa Marie as she slips from this world into the next. Our faith, your word, and Jesus promise that you, Father, will have your son waiting for her as she crosses that river of death. May she find strength and comfort and joy. Would you attend to her at this special time with special grace as she ends her life and walks to you? We don't forget Fran and Sean and the rest of their family who will now be left behind with a deep loss and a sadness and as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, would you meet them and would your presence give them courage and strength and even some tears of joy mixed with their tears of sadness as only you can because you are the king and the master over even death. And so we support and lift this family to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, I don't know how your New Year's started. <clears throat> Mine started with a little bit of a bang, so uh, I went to bed rather early last night, 11 o'clock, and uh, at about sometime, I think around 3.30, uh, Crystal said, Ed, wake up, there's somebody breaking into your truck in the driveway. And so I came out of a dead sleep, I sprung out of bed and ran right into the wall that was in front of me. I'm like, what's that wall doing there? It's so dark, I couldn't say, I'm moving my way and I'm kind of waking up as I'm moving my way. I open the bedroom door and I go out and now I'm just pretty well awake and I go, hold on a minute, my truck's in the garage. And so I look out the window, there's no cars at all in the driveway, no people anywhere to be seen and I thought, well I should... I should check, and I open the garage door and turn the light on. Sure enough, my truck's there, Crystal's car's there, everything's there. I have no idea what she heard or if she even heard it. And so I went back to bed, and I, you know, wanted to go back to sleep. Well, do you think I could get back to sleep? Like, I feel like I've been on a bender all night long, and I, I, I haven't drunk anything, and, and I, I have been awake since 3.39 this morning. And so if you got an email or a text from me at like some crazy hour, that's why. And uh, if I say something up here that sounds really off, that's why. <laughs> and I'm hoping 2023, this is not, uh, you know, telling me what the start of 2023 is going to be like. But I want to talk to you today. Uh, I've been thinking about this sermon for a while, and I want to talk to you today about your stuff. Our stuff gets in the way of us loving God. Our stuff gets in the way of us loving one another. 
Our stuff gets in the way of our own mental well-being, our emotional, our, our mental, our spiritual well-being, and it causes a heaviness that can be in our lives and draws us away from God and others. And so I want us to talk about our stuff. And I want to share uh, some words that, that you probably have heard a number of times about Jesus, but we find easy to ignore when it comes to our stuff. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Now, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It is a, a pericope, a story or a teaching pa- uh, section in the middle of a sermon from Jesus. But it's complete in and of itself. You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, if you, your words on the screen are a little bit different. I asked Kevin to put the ESV, because I was going to preach from the ESV. I have no idea where my ESV Bible is, so now I'm preaching from the NIV. So if my words are a little different, it's because I, I, like my year is just starting bad. So uh, that's why the difference in the words, it's not Kevin, it's me. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift in an altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So deal with it first before you worship. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And you are thinking, what in the world does that have to do with my stuff? Well, when I'm talking about your stuff and my stuff, I'm not talking about what you own in your possessions. I'm talking about the emotional, mental, spiritual weight that you carry around that just drains you and causes anxiety in us and destroys our relationship with God and with other people. It's the issues that are unresolved in our lives with others that I'm talking about. That stuff not the stuff you drive or live in or own or wear, the stuff you carry on the inside that is destroying you from the inside out, that you don't deal with. And I think this could be an interesting year if you were chose to listen to Jesus' words. So I'm sitting down because rather than preach, I wanna talk because I suffer from stuff too. Uh, this, I'm not up here telling you about how it should be because I've accomplished all this, I'm up here telling you what Jesus said, and I'm a fellow struggler with you. And so I want to talk about it rather than get up and you know preach like I normally do. So the first thing uh, I want us to see in this passage is what Jesus starts with. You've heard it said that people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. See, Jesus is dissecting the heart. It's easy for the people to say, well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't harmed anybody. I haven't even said anything bad to anybody. I've done nothing outwardly, externally against the law of God. And Jesus goes, no, 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 hold it, hold it. 
loving God and loving others isn't just our external actions. It involves that, but it's also what's going on in the heart. Hmm. So what you think and how you feel and your attitude towards somebody in your heart is as much an issue for Jesus as what you do externally, physically toward that person. And it's when it's there that we struggle. Because usually we can hold it together enough to keep our outward actions from being too violent, too obnoxious, too harsh. But it's in the heart where nobody knows but us that the struggle goes on. And in order to deal with the heart and these, the anxiety and the weariness and the bitterness that gets created because of these unres unresolved issues, we need to deal with it. Now, I was reminded of this this uh, Christmas. We had uh, all our family got together, our sons, all their wives, the, all the kids, everything. We all got together. And uh, one of my sons came to uh, Crystal and I and said, Mom, Dad, we need to talk. And so we got, a, we got alone and we were sitting down and he just said, you know, um, there's an issue between us. And he began to explain the issue. And, and it was, I knew the issue was there. I knew I was getting angry about it. I was getting upset about it. I was bitter. And, but, uh, and it was going, it had been going on for a while. And he sat down, he said, we need to talk about this. And because we need to get this out and get this open and deal with this or else it's just going to spiral downward and our relationship is going to suffer from it. Maybe even be hurt and destroyed by it. And so as I was sitting there listening to my son, I was both proud and disappointed. I was proud that <clears throat> he had the courage, like it was not easy to come to another person and certainly isn't easy to come to your mother and your father and say, I got a problem with you. And so he sat down and had the courage to sit down with us and I was sitting there going, man, he has grown up, he's really mature. Like I am so proud of him in this moment. He's doing what's hard. He has the courage to approach this issue and deal with it because that's what the Bible says and that's what he should be doing. I was disappointed because I was sitting there at the same time thinking, you know, I'm the spiritual leader in this family. And, and while each of my sons now has kind of their own family, I'm still the patriarch of the, our family and I'm still the, the spiritual leader. And why didn't I do this? Like, it's not like I was surprised at what he was saying. I knew what was going on. I knew the struggle that I was having. I knew the tension. You could feel it at, at different times. And I sat there kind of disappointed with myself because I'm like, my son is doing what I should be doing. And here I am. I teach and preach about it, but he's the one that's actually stepping up and doing it. And I was so glad he did because after we were done talking, uh, we, we, it, everything came out, we owned our own stuff and we forgave one another and we were able to put it away and it just changed the holiday and changed our relationship and a new life came back. The weariness and the heaviness and the bitterness was gone and was replaced with that joy that we always used to have. And it's because, you know, we dealt with our stuff. Now that's for, uh, for all of us, we need to deal with our stuff. And you have stuff with maybe a parent, maybe a child, a sibling, a boss, an employee, a coworker, a neighbor. You have stuff. 
And because you're not dealing with it, it's creating bitterness and anger and uh, a heaviness in your soul. And it's ruining your relationship with that person, but it's also affecting your relationships with others, including God. And the easy thing is, is we bury this stuff rather than deal with this stuff. And so as, you're, as I'm going through this, I want you to think about who is God promoting me to, or who's God prompting me to talk to? Who is this applied to in my life? And I, I, I'm sure every single one sitting here and every single one of you online, you have stuff. You have conflict. Things that have not been resolved, maybe for years. And it's time to change that, to listen to Jesus. Well, the first thing is we have to own our own stuff. We have to own our own stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to just dissect your heart. He goes, you know, it's not enough that you externally keep my law and, you know, do what's right. You've got to know, you, you, you've got to get into your heart and, and you've got to discern what's going on in there. You've got to own your own stuff. You know, I'm convinced 90% of the arguments that Crystal and I have result or, or escalate because I'm more concerned about her stuff than I am mine. And she's more concerned about my stuff than she is her own. Now, if you're married for any length of time, this should be ringing a bell right now. Because <laughs> isn't that how, when you get into the discussions that you have, that you're more focused on their stuff than you are your own stuff? I'm, I'm very gracious and merciful and kind toward me and my stuff. I have all the patience in the world for my stuff. But for other people's stuff, not so loving. And usually we start with their stuff. But scripture says, start with your own stuff. Discern your own heart first. You want to, like if your spouse isn't here, or a friend, you're having an argument, you wanna blow their mind? Go to them and say, I've been thinking about the issue we have and this is where I've gone wrong. It, it'll change the whole discussion. When you own your stuff first, it changes everything. I was, uh, oh, this is 20 years ago now. Uh, we had a really difficult time, uh, me as a senior pastor and uh, us as elders because there was an individual in our church who was charged with several accounts of sexual assault and it came out in the papers and it became public. And so we tried to step in and help him deal with this sin, which of course involved confession and repentance. That's the starting place of dealing with sin. Well, there was no way he was going to deal with this that way. He was not willing to admit it. He was not willing to confess it or repent from it. And so he fought back and he began to really fight hard against us and you know like false accusations against us and lies and slander and it just turned into his, his friends and his family were fighting for him and we were saying no if you want to be right with God you need to confess this and repent and then we can start a process of of helping you get things back together no I will never do it. and so it just became an attack and a fight and a and a small division of the church as a small group of people were really standing behind him in his unwillingness to deal with the sin. Well, he went to court and was found guilty and then went to prison and then got out and uh, disappeared from our town and our church. And I hadn't seen him for several years. And uh, we were at a, a fair and there, lo and behold, there he is. And so we 
we walked over and we were talking to him, saying, hi, how are you doing, the whole things. And he said, Ed, can I talk to you for a minute? Just the two of us? And I'm like, sure. So uh, the two of us kind of got to a corner where nobody could hear us talk, and he said, you know, Ed, I just want to say I am so sorry for all the pain and all the sin I caused against you and the elders. And I fought you guys. I was afraid. I wouldn't do what's right. And I, I just, I, I'm just so sorry for what I did. I, I, I just, I wish you could forgive me. Well, do you know what happened in that moment? Despite all the false accusations against me and against the elders, despite all the lies that were told and the slander that happened, I was like overflowing with mercy. It's like, yeah, no problem. Totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. There is something about when we own our own stuff that it, it brings the conversation from DEFCON 4 down. I think DEFCON 4 is the worst one, isn't it? Like, I can never get it right. Is it DEFCON 1 is the worst or 4? I think 4 is the highest. It just brings it down, and it opens the other person up to say, maybe I've done something wrong too, or at least a lot of times. It changes the tone when we own our own stuff. And so that's the first thing I'd say this coming year. Start to own your own stuff. Now, if you can't figure out your own stuff, if you can never see the wrong you've done, you've got a big problem. You're very defensive, justifying yourself, always needing to be right. That's something you should take to a counselor because you're protecting yourself from some hurt or something in your life. And until you break through that, you'll always be in conflict. You'll always live with unresolved issues in your life. You'll always be under the weight and the heaviness of it because there's something broken in you and it needs to be fixed. And so I would say owning your own stuff is the first thing. And for many of us, change the dynamics of our home just by first owning our own stuff. Being the one that has the courage to say, okay, here's, here's our problem and here's, here's what I've done. It doesn't mean you say it's all my fault. It doesn't mean you take all the blame. It means you're the first to say, here's my problem. Here's what I've added to the problem. So own your own stuff. The second thing would be to forgive their stuff. Look at what Jesus says in this. In verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Now, reconciliation is putting back together that which is broken, bringing back together that which is separate, and that's what sin does. When we hurt other people and we're hurt by them, we pull away from them. We pull away emotionally, we pull away physically, we pull away mentally, we just pull away from them. And reconciliation implies forgiveness. Because you can't be reconciled if you don't forgive. In fact, that's, that is, was modeled by Jesus. And, and the, listen to these verses. Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He, he, we who were separated from Christ because of our sin, he reconciled us back to him, brought us back in the right relationship and said, now you go carry on this ministry of reconciliation with other people. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he committed us to the message of reconciliation. Not counting our sins against him. That means to release us from what we owed him. It's not that we didn't sin, that's why we're reconciled. It's that Jesus paid for our sin, and so no longer was the debt of that sin held against us. Do you know what the word forgiveness, do you know where that came from? It came from originally to untie a knot, to release, and that's how reconciliation happens. You must first release the person from whatever they owe you. Now, I know where you're going. And well, it's easy for you to say that, but you haven't lived what I've lived. And that's probably true. Some of you may be sitting there saying, you know, I, I had, my dad abandoned us and it just tore my childhood apart. I lost my childhood. Or my mom rejected me, always rejecting me, and it, it just, it destroyed any sense of security. I, I still struggle with security to this day. Or I had a, a relative that abused me and, and I, I, they stole my sexual purity and my confidence. I had a teacher humiliate me all in one grade several times and, and I just feel like an idiot my whole life. I, I still struggle with feeling like an idiot. Or I had a friend betray me. And I, 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 I struggle to trust any because the betrayal was so deep. I mean, I mean the stories can go on. I, I, I believe them. I, I, they happen. The problem with reconciliation is often we are waiting for the person to pay us back what they owe us. But that often doesn't happen for two reasons. Number one, they might not be willing to be reconciled. They don't want to be reconciled, so they're not interested in admitting the wrong or paying you back anything that they took from you. Or two, they just can't pay you back. I mean, how does a father who left his family pay back a child their childhood? How do you do that? How does a mother who rejected her kids uh, when they were younger and created the sense of insecurity, how does she pay back that? How does a, an abuser who, who sexually abused a child pay back purity? I, I, many of the sins that we do to others or have had done to us, you just can't pay them back. The debt is real. The hurt is real. The loss is real. There's just no way to pay it back. Except one. This is where Jesus is profoundly sufficient. Jesus died for our sins. And when we talk about this, usually we think about it as Jesus died for my sins that I committed against the Father. And he died for your sins, which you committed against the Father, which is true. But Jesus died for my sins, whether they're against the Father, whether they're against other people. The death of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay the debt of any sin done against the Father or done to one another. Stop and think about that. 
That means the sin done against you that you are struggling to forgive with because there's no payback. There's no way to make it right. It's made right at Jesus at the cross because he said, I have died to pay the debt of that sin. Will you receive and take my payment and release that person? Oh. The death of Jesus Christ not only paid the debt for the sin against you, but Jesus, because of who he is, is able to heal the hurt that was left in your life from the debt that was put upon you. Wow. That's the gospel. That Jesus is profoundly sufficient to pay for whatever was done against you if you will accept his payment. Now, the Father accepts Jesus' payment for my sin against him and your sin against him, so how can I not accept the payment of Jesus for your sin against me or my sin against you? Curious. It's not that we don't have someone who paid the debt. It's will we accept the payment that Jesus made and forgive the stuff of others against us. Now, you know, you don't even have to talk to the person that hurt you to forgive them. That can be a transaction done between you and Jesus. And I suspect, if you're anything like me, it's one you will go back to and you'll need to work through over and over for a period of time. It could be months maybe years where you keep going back, the memories keep coming back, and you keep bringing it and laying it at the feet of Jesus and saying over again, I accept your payment, Jesus, but I picked that up again. I need to lay it back down at your feet and trust that your payment was enough and now help me to release this person. That sometimes is a process. The deeper the hurt, the longer the process, typically. But if you're going to be reconciled, which is what Jesus says here, you gotta talk to the people. You're gonna to have to talk to the person. Now, let's keep going before I say a few more things. Therefore, we do not, uh, whoops, wrong chapter, wrong verse. Back in um, Matthew chapter five, <clears throat> Jesus says, now, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together in the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Now, this is based on a practice in, in, that was uh, a legal practice in Jesus' time. So if two people owe, somebody owed somebody money, they were arguing, they had a dispute about money and one wasn't paying them back, the person that was owed the money could then go to a judge and the judge would make a ruling and whatever they said was legally binding and the, whoever he ruled against had to pay whatever he determined the right thing to pay. If they couldn't pay, then everything they had would be sold until they paid. And if they, everything they had was sold, and it still didn't make the debt, then they were thrown into prison, and the only way they got out of prison was if their relatives or somebody they knew would then finish paying the debt to release them. Now, notice what Jesus says. He says, settle matters quickly. 
What he's saying is don't leave it. If you've got an issue going on with somebody, a debt, don't leave it to go to the judge because you don't know how it's going to turn out. And you may be the one that has to pay and you may be thrown into prison because you don't have the resources to pay. So settle it before it gets to the judge. Settle it while you still can before the judge steps in. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is you settle your issues with other people before he has to. <laughs> see, usually when I have an issue with somebody else, again, I can see their problems very clearly. And so I'm all ready to meet Jesus with this person. Because Jesus is going to set them straight. And then I'm going to be justified. Or so that's what the story is up here. But do you know what uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20? Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. You think you want to go before Jesus? And count on your righteousness to pull this baby out? Do you not know he knows your heart? He knows my thoughts? He knows why I did what I did? Do you not think that it's dangerous? Well, it's far better for me to settle it with you and us just forget the stuff. Get it settled with. Own it. Forgive it and settle it, than it is to carry it on in my life and then stand before Jesus and let the perfect judge evaluate me and then evaluate you. Neither one of us is going to come out good on that. And by the way, let's just say you're 100% right, which is like no one, Solomon, no one ever, you know, sinless. Let's just say you were the one in this situation. You're sinless. You're, you're totally right. Well, then how are you going to deal with it when Jesus goes, you know, when I said love others and reconcile with people, you didn't even attempt it. You're in more trouble than when you started. You're, you're transgressing the greatest, second greatest law, love others. You didn't even try. You were so convinced of your own rightness that you let it come all the way here without settling this. You let that thing linger all for years in your life, for months in your life, you let it linger. I don't recommend waiting for the judge. I recommend doing what Jesus said, settle it quickly. Deal with it, own your stuff, forgive the stuff, and then forget the stuff. First of all, you don't need to be carrying it with you emotionally, mentally. The weariness, the anxiety, the weight that it causes in our lives. But you don't want <laughs> to have your name on the docket and stand before Jesus because it's not going to go well for you. Because you're not as right as you think you are. Because even if you are right and you haven't initiated reconciliation, you've violated the second greatest commandment. That's why Jesus said, do it quick. Deal with it. Oh, but Ed, what if, what if you go and you own your stuff and you forgive them, but, but they just turn it on you? 
They don't want reconciliation. Or they just use it to justify themselves. See, you were all wrong, I'm all right. Or it just goes worse. Well, that's a good question because all those things can happen. Uh, there's no easy formula for this whole thing. And by the way, it's not always just one conversation. Oftentimes it's more than one conversation. Maybe one conversation and settles it if both parties want to be reconciled. But sometimes it's just not that way. I remember, uh, again, this is years ago, but it was one of the formative uh, stories of my life. I've told you this before, and, but it, it shaped me and helped me understand this whole thing uh, around reconciliation. So um, I had moved from uh, one, uh, Huntsville to Strathroy, but there was an unresolved conflict with an individual. Now, I, I was convinced that he was 100% wrong. Right? And so in my prayers, I was praying over and praying over it and giving it to God and giving it to God. But I couldn't get rid of it. Like it was on my mind. It kept coming up. I, you know, I'd forget about it for a few weeks and it'd come up in my prayer time. And, and I was getting bitter and angry because I'd been wrong so much. And I wasn't owning my stuff. I was owning their stuff, not my stuff. And so uh, finally, uh, God broke through and said, you know, uh, you need to deal with this because you're not, you're not dealing with this well. Like it, it, you're, you're still get, you're getting better. You're getting worse. And so I finally submitted to the Holy Spirit and the conviction in my spirit. And so I got my car, drove a couple hours back and I sat down with the person and I owned my own stuff. I said, you know, we left, uh, there was this conflict. This is what I did wrong. And I just want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. And the individual said, oh, of course I forgive you. Thanks for coming. Now, I kind of planned like it would be different. I, I kind of thought after I own my stuff and then, the, then they, I apologize that they would say, yeah, and I did this. And they would own their stuff and they would apologize and we'd be happy. No, it was just like, yeah, thanks for coming. When I walked out of that office, I thought I would be ripping mad because I put myself out there, made myself vulnerable, and they used that to justify themselves as if they did nothing wrong. And you know what I was like on the way back? No, you don't. Because I know what you're thinking. Gripping the steering wheel, just thinking, you know, the George Costanza. Oh, if only I said this! I, I had a joy on the way back because, here's why. God holds you accountable not for reconciliation, but the attempt at reconciliation. He holds us accountable for our obedience. That's why, in, and Paul says in Romans, be at peace with everyone as much as it is within you, because it takes two people to reconcile. And sometimes people, others, don't want to be reconciled. That's who is in hell. God has done everything everything for mankind to be reconciled to him. But there are many people who want nothing to do with God in his reconciliation and do not want to be reconciled. And so what God experiences, we probably will experience too. Whether because the person sees things differently from us or they just don't want to be reconciled. And so God doesn't say, well, you didn't make it happen, Ed. So now you got to go keep going back and keep dealing with it. It's like, no, you obeyed me. That's what counts. Just leave it with them. I went, I drove back. I, I was free 
from the bitterness and the anger. I was done. It was over because I had obeyed. See, when you own your stuff and you forgive their stuff and forget the stuff, you'll be free. So you'll be a different person. You start dealing with some of these issues that are in your life with other people that aren't dealt with. By the way, you may need to get help to do it, and that's okay. That's what Jesus said in Matthew, right? Matthew 18. You go to the other person. If it doesn't work out, bring somebody or two or three, one or two others with you. When you do that, you'll be free. Now, it's hard. I know that's why we don't do it. We're kind of afraid of it. But you'll be free. You won't have the bondage in your life anymore, the bitterness, the anger. It will be resolved. It will be healed by your obedience, by God's spirit. Do you know that when you're angry and bitter, you're, you're leaving yourself open to both sin and Satan? Both sin and Satan use that as opportunity to control your life. And you are violating the greatest commandment to love God and love others. So you're not growing. You're stuck. You'll be free. Imagine 2023 if you just sat down and said, God, show me who I need to go to. And by your grace, I'm going to go. You'll be more loving. Your home will have more love expressed in it. Your relationships. And guess what? This church will be more loving. Because I'm going to guess there's some issues Right? You want to be free? Deal with your stuff. Trust Jesus. It's worth it. Jesus, uh, <laughs> as I uh, share your word, I just ask for your grace and your courage to fill us. I know that there's not a person listening who has not had issues with other people. And I suspect a large percentage of us, rather than deal with them by owning our stuff and then forgiving the stuff and forgetting the stuff, we've buried the stuff. We hold on to the stuff. We go over and over the stuff. And we get angry and hurt and bitter because of the stuff. Lord, grant us the courage to love you and to love others by dealing with the stuff. And for those who have the courage to obey you, Lord, I pray you will go with them and free them from the bondage of their guilt, their sin, their uh, anger, their hurt, whatever it is. May they experience and taste the freedom that they long for through their obedience to you and your word. May this year, 2023, be way different in our lives because of our obedience. 